I don't know that there's a better a better um, way to ring in the new year than to start the new year proclaiming, preaching the word of God, um, and worshiping God in the gathering of the saints. Um, man, I love you guys. Um, I I can't <laughs> thank you. I can't believe I got to teach you the word of God. Uh, many times I'm thankful that the Lord has. Uh, called me to do this, has allowed me to do this, that you guys have um, accepted me and allowed me to do this. Uh, a lot of you have been in the faith for a lot longer than me, and uh, um, probably all of you are holier than me, and uh, only, in, uh, only in God's mercy we see um, that He calls uh, people um, as dark as I, with sins as dark as mine, and He forgives and He restores them, and He gives them the Word of God and He transforms um, their lives. And uh, I just rejoice. It's just I hope that this this gladness of heart would be ours, uh, not only today as we celebrate the coming of a new year, but throughout the year we would. Rejoice in God, in God's mercy, delight in Him, be content with whom He is and what He has done for us, uh, and, and, and be grateful, and be grateful to Him. That's, you know, if there's, uh, I'm not really into New Year's resolutions, but if, uh, if there's something that we should resolve to do, not only on January 1st, is to be grateful and to delight in Him. Because of who he is, he deserves our worship and our thankfulness. He is good, God is good. Um, so, with that in mind, I want to uh, ask you to open your Bibles and uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter eleven. Gospel of John, chapter eleven, verses seventeen through thirty-seven, and. Uh, we're going to see mighty things that the Lord has done while we get there. I'm going to. We're going to read, then I'll pray, and then uh, we'll talk about this, okay? Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now that... But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus, was, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept his man, this man from dying? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you once again with gladness of heart that you have revealed yourself to us, that you are the Word of God, that you are truth. I pray that you would visit us today. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. God, visit us today in our affliction, in our pain, in our sorrow, in our cold-heartedness, in whatever place our heart is. Visit us today and do your work. Transform us. Make us look more like you. Make us holy. Oh, let your blood accomplish its purpose today. From the youngest to the oldest. The smallest to the biggest. Let us see you. Come today, Lord Jesus. I pray that in your holy and, and, and resurrecting, powerful name. Amen. Amen. So, we see that today Jesus finally arrives. I say finally because Jesus had received a message about two days ago that, um, or at least two days ago, there's a, a little bit of a debate on where exactly Jesus was um, for a purpose today. It's not relevant, but Jesus had received a message in the beginning of this chapter. Jesus, your friend Lazarus, your friend whom you love, he is deathly ill and Jesus, knowing that, Jesus says, this illness is not going to lead to death. Therefore, he stayed two more days. Because he loved them. He didn't go, he didn't rise quickly and go see his friend before he died, but he stayed two more days. And then he journeyed to the place, to Bethany, to the place where this man and his sisters lived, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, where they lived. And today, he finally arrives, and he doesn't enter the town. He doesn't enter into the village, because even before that, Martha hears that he is around, and she comes. Martha has to make it happen, you know her. She's always doing stuff. She hears about it, and she runs towards the village, goes outside of the village, and meets Jesus 
still entering right outside of the village of Bethany. Now, the whole thing gets pretty interesting from the beginning, from the get-go. In, in, in preparing for this, I came across some pretty interesting things, some, some very fascinating things. And one of them is that there was a teaching, a, rabbinical, uh, a rabbinic teaching. Uh, in those days, it was widespread. Now, whether it's a biblical teaching or not, it's not the point. It's, it's not. It's not. But it was a widespread belief because the authorities of the day, uh, many of them taught this. And, and this is that after the soul would leave the body, the body of the deceased, would, the soul would like hover around, just hover around the body and wait for at least three days in hopes that the soul would be able to re-enter that body, to come back to life. The teaching, went, the teaching goes as after three days when decay starts being apparent, the soul of that body, the soul of that being, that spirit would lose hopes of re-entering that body. And the spirit would finally depart, leaving no hopes whatsoever of any resurrection. So now there's nothing that they could do because now the body is rotting already. It stinks, it has worms. Now the soul has departed. The soul doesn't even think about entering that body anymore. And many people believe that. So here we see the significance of Jesus showing up, not on the second day, not on the day he died, but four days later. The custom of the day was that burial would follow the death immediately. With techniques of preservation that we have today, we can hold off as long as ten days, we can hold off a while before the actual burial. But not in those days. They simply bury the body the very same day. They got the body ready for, for, with all the ointments and stuff, ready for burial and would bury it immediately. That didn't, that didn't give them a lot of time to grieve, which brings me to, to, a, a, a diff, to process the whole information, which brings me to another interesting thing that I realized in, in preparing for this. Remember how Jewish people, especially in those days, they would have you know, four weddings, the whole family would come around, and friends, and they would all celebrate for a whole week. A funeral was more or less the same thing except the whole celebration thing. But the whole family, people, friends, close friends, they would kind of move in on them. They would come and spend a week with them. As soon as they, they got word that so-and-so had died, they would come and live with them for a week. They had a big house, which seems to be the case with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They would come and stay in the house, consoling the people that had lost a family member. So we see that they have an awful lot of people in this house. Because look at, look at what the text says. Many Jews. I want you to, to pay attention to these two words. Many Jews. So many, many. A lot of people in the house. Now, in John's terminology, you see that Jews are not only people that are descending of, descendant of Abraham. They're not only the bloodline of David, of, of Abraham. They, in John's terminology, in his gospel, the Jews, when he uses the word Jews, he refers 
to the national religious leadership, to the religious leaders. And we see that Lazarus must have been a prominent member of society. He must have been a, a, a man that had money because he had his own grave, his own tomb. Uh, it seems to be a fancy one, kind of like the one that Jesus borrowed for the weekend when he died. Um, so we see that he was prominent because the Jews, the leadership came out from Jerusalem. And they showed up and they, he stayed, they stayed this week with them. Consoling Martha and Mary. So he was a man of prestige. And he, he had a relationship with these people. Because we're going to see later on that they were weeping. Not only Martha and Mary, but the Jews were weeping. Now, Jesus shows up just like he showed up in the world. Just like why he came into the world to deal with the death that sin had brought into the world. Jesus shows up in Bethany to deal with the death of his close friend. That's irony. Because Jesus is going to deal with his death with the death of his close friend. Not from a distance, but he's going to conquer death. In just a few days, he's going to conquer death through death. He's going to stare death right in the face. The, the face and he's going to die. And by dying, Jesus accomplishes forgiveness of sins. Jesus accomplishes atonement. And by believing in him, we too may have life. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because we are going to get there. We see, verse 20, we see that Martha and Mary, they're taken care of. They're not left alone. People are present. I mean, no doubt, there's a bunch of theologians there. No doubt, there's theology in the air. Psalms are being quoted. Hope is being spread. Hands are being held. There are also these professional mourners that was part of their culture and it was a beautiful custom. Just like the custom of moving in on them and being together, standing together, shoulder to shoulder, crying together, weeping together. Beautiful custom. We, see, we think of the idea of a professional mourner. We may think, that's weird. I want to pay someone to cry. That's not exactly how they saw it in those days. It helped them to bring out the grief, to grieve to grieve in a healthy manner. They wanted to make sure that the whole thing didn't become a party because there was a huge gathering of people. As far as the food, they served lentils, water, and boiled eggs. They were there to feel it, to grieve, to get, to grieve together. They did not treat death like our culture does today. Death became kind of a taboo and we suppressed the subject and we never think about our own, own mortality. Every time you mention your own death or you mention the fact that, that we are certainly going to die, first reaction from people is, oh, let's not talk about that. It's a subject that it became almost like a forbidden subject. 
people, it's not people's favorite subject, but in those days they had those professional mornings that came to the house as well and helped them grieve. They, they would cry, they would weep, even if they didn't know, but it was their profession, even if they didn't know the person. Now, in the midst of that, we see that Martha heard that Jesus was there and she runs to them. Mary stays. It is my belief that Mary at that point had not heard that Jesus was there. Because in verse, verses 28 and 29, we see that one, that Martha informs Mary in private, Jesus is here, the teacher is here. Well, if Mary had heard that Jesus was there, Martha wouldn't have the need to inform her. Also, she, if she had heard it before, she would just get up and go see him, just like she does in, in, in verses uh, 28 and 29. As soon as she's, she hears, the Master is here and He's calling you, she gets up and goes. So it is my belief that she stayed because she didn't know what was happening. And the Jews didn't know what was happening either because when, Martha, when Mary gets up and goes, they don't know where she's going. They think she's going to cry at the tomb. But anyways, she stays, Martha goes, back to Martha. She runs and meets Jesus right outside the village and quickly quickly declares her faith in Jesus. How? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You don't have to hear this, to read this as a rebuke on Jesus. Because it's not. There's nothing... I mean, one would have to force a tone of... of a nasty tone of voice on this text, to get the idea that she's being nasty, that she's complaining, she's rebuking him. Some friend you are! He died four days ago, now it's too late. Where have you been? You have to force that. And the problem is that, I say you have to force it because her demeanor, her conversation, her future actions do not support this view. But in fact, she's expressing her faith in Him. It displays her trust in Him. If you had been here, He would not have died. It may have been, she may have been possibly confused. But she trusts Him. She probably has not worked out the whole thing about Trinity. He is God. He is incarnate. He is the Son of God. He is nothing less than Jehovah, than the great I Am. In her distress, I doubt that she, she was able to even work, work it all out and have, and have clarity of mind with all of the sorrow to work these issues. She was working with the revelation she had and she knew that whatever he asked of God, God would answer him. And I think the greatest display of faith is in verse 22, in the words, even now. It's not, even now that you're late, but it's, even now, Lord Jesus, that you didn't come, that my brother died, seemingly contradicting the report that my messengers brought, that you said, verse 4, that you said this Illness will not lead to death, but it is for 
the glory of God is that the Son of God will be glorified. Well, it's not going to lead to death. He died. Even now, that I have no idea how this is going to glorify you, I trust in you. I know that anything you ask from God, He'll give you. Even now. Then we get all happy and, and we think, you know, uh, she's thinking, he's going to resurrect my brother. But verse, 29, verse 39, which is not part of our deal today, verse 39, we see that when Jesus does resurrect her brother, Jesus stands in front of the tomb and he says, open the grave, roll out this stone. Her first reaction is, he stinks. He is rotting, rotting right now. So we see that when she says, even now, I trust you, immediate resurrection is not part of her thinking. In just another verse, we'll, verse we'll see that Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus, Jesus will say, your brother will rise again. First thing she thinks is not, let's go, this is awesome, you're going to raise him from the dead? No, but she says, oh, I know, I know. And she has great theology, better than the Sadducees, who did not believe in any resurrection. Once you die, it's done, it's over came over for them. But she, she says, I know, Lord. I know that in the final day he'll be resurrected. So we see that she's not hoping for an immediate resurrection. She's not hoping to see her brother again. As far as she was concerned, her brother was dead and she was adjusting to life without her brother. She had to rethink the whole thing again. Now I don't have my brother anymore. I'm not going to feel his embrace anymore. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. I'm not going to listen to him reading his expensive scrolls to me anymore. We're not going to sit around the table anymore and break bread and have wine together. He's not going to yell at me anymore. I'm not going to get to pick on him. I'm not going to make him dinner. The house will be empty. She was adjusting to life. But she says, even now, in spite the fact that it didn't feel gracious when he died. It didn't feel loving when he died and you could have healed him, but you didn't even show up. You didn't even come to comfort me, to hold his hand when he died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. She had experienced Jesus praying many other times before. They were friends. They were close. Jesus had said that He does what the, Lord, what, what the Father tells Him to do. And Jesus, in her confusion, lack of clarity of mind, in her distress, sorrow that she's going through, there's confusion there. We can see. That maybe she doesn't have his identity all figured out. But Jesus is revealing himself to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, he's strengthening and clarifying her faith for her. As she suffers and goes through all of this. As she's being beat up by the sorrows of life. By the enemy that death is. Jesus is strengthening her faith. She is growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to borrow the terminology of 
Second Peter 3.18. She's growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord because He, in this time, He's using her distress to cause her to, to, to cling to Him and to love Him and to cast herself on Him. And He gives her a little bit more understanding of who He is. Now this has to encourage you. When you are going through it, through it, when you are being beat up by life and your sin and sorrow and, and worldly remorse, by the things you do, by the things that are done to you, when you grieve, when you grieve over your sin, when things that are out of your control happen, when you lose a loved one. If you are in Christ, He is revealing Himself to you even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when He seems uncaring or indifferent to your pain. He's accomplishing more than you know. And He's doing that to her. When Lazarus dies, Jesus says, verses 14 of this text, 14 and 15, He says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why was He glad? So that you may believe. He says it to His disciples. This is happening so that you may believe. This family is being afflicted by pain. Affliction is visiting their home. But this is for my glory and in my glory you're going to delight because you're going to believe. Great things are going to happen in front of you in spite of your doubt. I'm going to do great things in your Faith is going to be stronger. He does it for them. He does it for her. Now, she believes he can resurrect her, her brother. She states as much. In the last day, verses 23 and 24, she believes that it's going to happen. The last day, it's going to happen. That's a good thing, isn't it? To believe that one day creation will be perfect again. God's going to come. Jesus is coming back. And He's going to restore all things. Creation is perfect. In heaven, there will be no more pain, crying, mourning, or death. There will be no more sin. We will be free from the bondage of sin. We'll be free from the effects of sin, from the punishment and judgment of sin. And we will be free throughout eternity, from even the presence of sin. And that's awesome. But how many times do we postpone the glory of God and the power of God to the future? But on Tuesday morning, you get that call and your first reaction is despair and anxiety. Somehow, God is going to, to bring peace about and restore, and creation is not going to groan anymore. And we will be resurrected eternally for a life of eternal joy. There will be no more problems whatsoever. He has all of this power, but Tuesday morning is too tough for Him. Paycheck bounces. That's it, I'm getting an ulcer. How many times do we postpone the power 
of Jesus. The resurrection power. He was there and He was going to do something today. You see, He says, I am. That is the personal, eternal name of God, isn't it? This is one more of the I am statements of the Gospel of John. So she's saying, in it, you're going to do this in terms of future. But when he says, I am, he's saying, Martha, it doesn't matter when, because it's not something I, I, I have that I may lose. You know, this power is not temporary. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is resurrection and life. And that will not change. He has ever been. He always was resurrection and life. He is today and He will be forever. Time is irrelevant. In Malachi 3.6 He says, I the Lord do not change. Jesus doesn't have some power to do resurrection. It's not something He does. It's who He is. He is life. If we are in Him, we are. He is our life. Jesus is our life. And He's doing something today. He was doing something in that day. It was not something for the future only. And He is doing something today. I know that there's pain in your life. I know that there's anxiety in your life. I know that there's situations in your life. I'm here to beg you today, in the name of Jesus, in this text, in your distress, let Him show Himself to you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Son of God. Let Him dry your tears. Cry at His feet. It's okay. He will not cast you away. Let Him comfort you. Let Him heal the wounds. Let Him restore. Today. God is the God of today. He's not a distant God that will maybe come in the future. Amen? Jesus is present when two or more gather in His name. I'm going to venture to say that there's at least two people here in His name. And He chose in His mercy and loving providence. God chose this text today, the first day of this year, because He loves you. And He wants to bring about comfort in your life. He wants to strengthen your faith as He reveals Himself to be the resurrection and the life. God is alive, well, and at work in your life today. Verse 25, Martha, Martha I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He is resurrection. Now, 
saying all this to Martha. And I want to slow down and look at the verse. Maybe step outside of the drama. Very dramatic passage. I, I, I'm not sure there's many, there are many other passages that there are such a high level of, of drama, intense emotions as, as, as this. But if we can step out and just look at, 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 at letters and, and commas and, and black marks on the page. In its context, verse 25 is talking about physical death. It's what's happening. Lazarus has died. His heart stopped beating. His brain waves are not flying anymore. His blood is not flowing through his veins. Physical death, we see that she has a distant thought of, yeah, it's going to happen. Physical resurrection in the future, in the last day. Jesus is replying to that statement, talking about physical death and life. Uh, he is replying to Martha's statement about physical life. But his answer is not limited to physical life. In the end of the verse, when he says he'll live, I think he's making a transition from more than physical life. Because in verse 25, he brings in the element of faith. He who believes in me. Well, we know that as far as resurrection, as far as having our bodies raised in the last day, not only those who believe in him will be risen again, will be raised up from the dead. Everybody who has ever lived will be risen. But those who believe in him, like he says, they will be resurrected to life to an eternal life of eternal joy and delight in God, in the loving presence of the eternal God, the Prince of Peace, the Redeemer, in Him, serving Him forever there. Which I think there is how, that is how He's using the word life. Those who believe in Him will be saved and live with Him. Physical life and spiritual life. Body and soul restored to dwell forever and ever in the loving presence of God. In other words, salvation through faith. For by grace we're saved through faith that no one should boast. Believing in Him, we are saved. And on verse 26, he expands the conversation fully to, to, to eternal spiritual life. Living and believing in Him. You will never die. Well, Lazarus believed Him. He's buried. So he clearly is not saying that if you come to faith, your heart will never stop beating. Your brain waves are now eternal. Blood will never cease to pump through your veins. It's not what he's saying. Coming to faith in Christ does not mean that you will never die physically. It does not mean that. But it means that you will never go back to a state of alienation from God. That you will never go back to being dead in trespasses and sins. Under the condemnation of God. In enmity against God. Never being 
carnal, meaning you'll never go back to not being able to understand the things of God and the things that concern or related to His salvation. You will never go back to not being able to discern the things of the Spirit. You will be preserved by God forever. If He has brought you to faith, He will not lose you. In spite of what may happen. In spite of what you might feel when life is beating you badly. He will not lose you. Because I'm convinced of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. The human side of salvation is faith. We exercise faith. We cast ourselves and our cares upon Him. And He gives us rest. Oh, I hope you have experienced this in your life. And if you haven't, He's dangling that carrot once again. Come to me. You are weary? Come to me. I'll give you rest. I am the resurrection and the life. We will be forever free from the effects of sin, from the punishment of sin, from even the presence of sin, it doesn't start when you die. It starts today. It starts when you come to Him. When you believe in Him. And that's where He's going with this. Do you believe this? Really? That's what He asks Martha. And she, verse 27, she gives him a beautiful answer. A beautiful answer. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, Lord. You are the Anointed One. You are the One that, that God has promised throughout all of these years through the, the Law and the Prophets. We see, I see that You are the One and You are the Son of God coming into the world. I wonder if that's her first revelation of the Son of God and with His statement. I wonder if instantly her faith is being strengthened already and her understanding is illumined by, by His words. But she rejoices in her sorrow and she says, You are the one. You are the one. And she says that and runs. Great Martha fashion. She runs back home we're going to kind of walk through now uh, verses 28 through 32. She runs back home and she says, Mary, 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 I can, I can just see her wringing her fingers, excited. Mary, come here. The teacher is here. He's calling you. She says it in private. And Mary hears this and she gets up quickly. Now, we know that Martha and Mary, they're different. Mary, she processes. She's, she's more... The worship type, contrite. She wants to feel this. She's not thinking of making things happen. She wants to cry and she, she grieves differently. She's there sitting. She's not doing much. At the same time, Martha is running outside. She's making it happen. She wants to see Jesus. She can't wait a few more minutes for Him to actually come to her. 
Martha's different. She's just sitting there. She's probably devastated, sobbing. We saw this woman crying at the feet of Jesus, you know, weeping her heart out, her heart out because of her sin. And, but at this news, she gets up. She rises quickly. You can see how excited she was. The teacher is here. He's calling me. I want to go see him. And she runs and, and she decides to go and it goes outside of town. And, and, and um, the Jews see this and they decide to follow her because they think she's going to the tomb. She just got up and she's going to the tomb. She's going to weep there. Let's go with her. And finally, you know, she goes as fast as she can and, and she gets there. And Jesus is in no hurry whatsoever. Where is Jesus? Still in the place where Martha had met him. Outside of the village. He didn't even go in. And outside of the village wasn't even a very safe place because outside of the village was more visible and closer to Jerusalem where he was a marked man. Where he was regarded as a blasphemer and people wanted to kill him Chapter 10 ends with Jews picking up stones in the temple to stone him to death. So he flees town. He gets out of town. And now he's back and he's just hanging there. Martha had the whole time to go all the way back home, call Mary. Then Mary got up and went all the way back. Jesus was in the same place. I don't know how long. How, this is a small village. So it probably didn't take you know, a whole day for, him to, for them to get there. But it took some time. But Jesus is still there in no hurry. Complete control. Complete confidence. Everything is on schedule. Even though as far as they're concerned, as far as Lazarus is concerned, Jesus was late. But Jesus was never late. Jesus is never late. And you need to know and trust that. She sees him. She runs to him. And she loses it. She loses it. She can't, she can't even stand, stay on her feet and maybe embrace him. Maybe nothing, look him in the eye. She falls on her knees and cries again. She starts bawling her, her eyes out. This is her Savior. This is the one who forgave her sins. This is her close friend. Probably one of few men, because she was a woman of a reputation. I don't want to go too much into it, because we're going to get there next uh, uh, chapter. And in, in, in Joe already preached it better than I will do it anyways, uh, in Luke. But this is the man that probably is one of the few that treated her with respect. Close friend of Lazarus. She has just lost her brother. She's grieving. She's very emotional. When she sees him, everything boils up and she explodes in sorrow and she's sobbing at his feet. The Jews see this. The national Jewish leadership. Not a few guys. The religious leaders from Jerusalem, they didn't send a few guys. They sent many. Many of the main guys, they came and they were following Martha because they think she's going to the tomb to, to, to cry there. When they see that, that, that scene, they lose it. They are weeping. 
And in that brief moment, they're faced with the certainty of death, with the power that death has, with the fact that there is no fighting death. We will all die. The devastation of death is staring them in the face. And there's nowhere to hide. There's no avoiding the subject. There is no, let's not talk about this. Let's talk about some other stuff. There is no game being played. Oh, I hate this guy. This Jesus guy, you know, he must be demon possessed. Let's label him as something. Let's kill him because... This is not going to go well for us. I don't care about his miracles. I can't, I can't explain it. You know, people are praising God and, and that seems to not be what the devil accomplishes. So I don't know what it is, but I'm going to label him because he is threatening to my position as a leader. I don't want to have to repent publicly of my teaching. I'm going to regard him as a blasphemer because I'm more enamored with the glory of men. There's no time. There's no desire in this brief moment for playing these games. These people that hate Jesus' guts, they see this scene and they're faced faced with their own mortality, with the ravaging destruction of death. And for a brief moment, they lose it. They are weeping. They're not shedding a, a couple of tears. They're not emotional. They're not maybe moved. But that's a scene that touches everybody. It seems like that was not a dry eye in that gathering. And Jesus asks, Jesus sees that, and, and well, at first she, in her crying, forgive me, she says, Lord, same thing that Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. All of this happens. Everybody's crying. Jesus looks at them and says, Where have you guys uh, buried him? Where have you laid him? And he's about to deal with man's greatest enemy. He's going to do it by saying a word. Get out of there, Lazarus. Come forth. But he has accomplished Lazarus' life. Because he died for him. He came back to the area, to the Jerusalem area. And not many days from now, he will die a death on a cross so that Lazarus may live. So that you who believe in him should never die You see, Jesus takes our our sin so seriously that He died for them. But we don't take our sin so seriously, do we? Why is it that we are so lenient? We give ourselves so much leeway to begin to obey, to start obeying, to truly come to repentance. Listen, there's stuff in your life that doesn't belong there. There is stuff in your thought life that should not be there. There is no place for that stuff in your life. 
And you should repent. Today. Well, we're getting a little judgmental here, aren't we? Well, that's Bible. That is Bible. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Why is it that we treat our sin so lightly? Do you often, do you often weep over your sin? Does that keep you awake at night? Listen, Jesus Christ treated our sin so seriously that He died for it. And it is time that we would treat us that seriously too. And not presume upon the mercy of God and the grace of God in forgiving us. He has accomplished it all. And that does not mean don't do a darn thing because you're saved already. That does not mean this. I beg of you, make war against your sin. If you don't, your sin will destroy you. It will. Your sin has the power to take away everything you truly value. Your sin has the power to make you find yourself one day in the eternal judgment of God with no chances of going back. If your eye makes you stumble, pluck it out. That's extreme language. I wouldn't have the courage to say it if Jesus hadn't said it. If your hand makes you stumble, cut it off because it's better for you to go into eternal life without an arm and an eye and blind than to have your whole body burning in hell for eternity. And that is a loving warning from Jesus. If you say you have no sin, you and I deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Praise God. Thanks be to God for Jesus. Because if you know First John, you know that there's another verse that comes after this, doesn't it? But if you confess your sins... He is faithful and righteous to cleanse you of all sin. Is that good news? Is that good news? Jesus saves. It's not a cliche. Do you believe this? Jesus gave His everything and we are so thankful to Him. Jesus, with a heavy heart, he's sad, he's deeply moved. 
he sat at man's misery. And the text says that he is greatly troubled. That means he's angry. He's irate. He sat at the misery and destruction of death. But he's angry. Why was he angry? Why was he sad? I mean, he knew that he was going to take care of this. He already knew it. And he left the place where he was. He said, this is going to be for the glory of God, that the Son of God will be glorified. And I'm glad I'm not there so that you may believe. He knows he's got this. He's not in a hurry. He's taking care of business. And at that time, he, he's deeply moved in his spirit. His emotions, the state of his soul is just devastated. He's sad. He's sad at the misery that we live, at the, the consequences that sin has brought about. And he's angry. He's angry because he, at this point, he's facing and warring man's greatest enemy, death. And he's looking for saying that the ravaging destruction of death in the life of his dear friend, in the life of his dear friends, Martha and Mary, and even those Jews that hated his guts, he looks at them and there's compassion. Like there's so much sadness and sorrows. And Jesus is angry at death. When you see St. Jude's commercials, St. Jude's Hospital in L.A., children with bald heads, they're nine-year-old and, and they look like they're four because they're so skinny and they have childhood cancer. Don't you hate cancer? Don't you have a knot that you say, I hate cancer it's the same thing I hate death that's what Jesus is feeling and the culmination of all of these emotions verse 35 when we arrive at the shortest verse in the whole of scripture not that Martha cried not that Mary wept not that the Jews even are sobbing their eyes out but that the Son of God cries. The shortest verse of the Bible is, Jesus wept. He knows he's going to take care of business, but still he weeps because doesn't the Bible say, mourn those who mourn, weep with those who weep? When we do that, we display the character of God that is being displayed here. His emotions are being displayed. His love is being displayed by His tears. There is something so holy. when you don't, Sometimes you don't even have words. Sometimes there are no words that can do anything. But you can just be there, standing shoulder to shoulder. You can just squeeze a hand 
can just look at your loved one and cry with them. It's so holy because that is the heart of God. If you have been comforted by a brother or sister like this, if someone, when you are in pain and someone looks you in the eye and they cry because you are hurting, you know what I'm talking about. There is something so holy and pure and beautiful that happens when that happens. And Jesus is there. He looks at all this and, and he weeps. He doesn't say a word to Martha, to Mary, I mean. And, and he just weeps. And there's a reaction. His demeanor and his tears, they convey his love in such a powerful manner that even those who were trying to label him as a charlatan, as a blasphemer, even those men, they look at him and they among each other, they say, see how he loved him? See how he loved him? It's not a question, it's, it's an it's a affirmation, it's a statement. They're like, wow, this is love. But some, in, hardness of, in hard-heartedness, they react in a different way. They suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And, and, and their reaction is, <laughs> yeah, he loved him. But, I mean, he opened the eye of the blind, the eyes of the blind man. Couldn't he have done something to question his power? And uh, I want to leave you hanging. I want to leave you in front of the tomb. And God willing, we will get back to Bethany one of these days and, and stand in front of this tomb and see the glory of Jesus in, in resurrecting his close friend, Lazarus. Short answer to the to the question is, uh, yeah, he opened the eye of the blind. He could have healed Lazarus. He can even now resurrect him, and he will resurrect him now. That's the short answer. We'll get to it if the Lord allows us. He is the resurrection and the life, and that's why. He has defeated our greatest enemy, conquering death, not in spite of it, but through it. And that grave could not hold him past Sunday morning. He stared death right in the face. The face. He fought it and he triumphed over death just like Psalm 16 had said, just like God had promised that He would not allow His Holy One to see decay. God fulfills His promise in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, beats death, and in Him we can cheat death as well. You cannot die. In Christ you are undiable. You can't die. You are in Him. You have eternal life 
even now. Do you believe this? You have been made alive because He is resurrection and the life. It is who He is and in Him it's what you receive. And that's the end of the story. I pray that that penetrates your heart deeply and restore the hope and joy. And maybe for some of you, restore the joy of your salvation. Because I didn't make up anything that I said. He is saying that. I hope that you hear the voice of God today. Do not leave this place without hearing the voice of God today. Remember, today God is alive, well, and at work in your life. I'm going to leave you with the same question that uh, Jesus asked Martha. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Him should never die. Martha said, You are the Son of God coming into the world. John, earlier in chapter 3, Jesus says, God loved the world so much that He gave me His only Son that whoever believes in me shall never perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. The question He asked Martha and the question He asked you today is, do you believe this? I hope and pray you do. I hope and pray that this would cause a great work of God in your life this week and this year to come as God works wonders even when we don't feel that He is doing all those things and accomplishing victory on our behalf. Amen? All right, I love you guys. Let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you that you have sent Jesus. He is our resurrection and He is our life. I, I thank you that He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, in Jesus, we have nothing to fear as far as death is regarded because death becomes just a, just a doorway through which we escape the sin-broken world and even our death is precious to you. How precious it is, the death of your saints to you. And through our death, we see, we see your mercy in our death that we escape the sin-broken world, this, this valley of tears, and we immediately are in your presence to experience eternal joy. Oh, how I rejoice in your love and mercy. I pray that our hearts would not let go of this promise, would not let go of this word. Not today, not this week, not in the year to come, not in the rest of our lives. I pray that in the name of the one who is our resurrection and who has accomplished our eternal life through his blood through dying our death and in him we live amen and all god's people said amen glory be to jesus